0: Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Encounter Church once again. Um, this is my first time so far this morning, this Sunday, saying hello to you, so it's kind of weird for me, because usually I get to um, hang out with the musical people of the church, but. Yeah, I'm really excited to have the opportunity just to speak to you guys today, um, just to share with you what God has placed on my heart. Uh, it's really my goal just to do just that, is to do my best to um, keep my my words out of the way and just speak what God wants wants for you guys to hear it today. So I hope that you see my heart in that, and that's really all that that I desire. So um, today, I figured it would be good and appropriate to start out if we could all just replicate what just happened on the screen and do the whip and the na nay <laughs> Now I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you do that. But um, I think there's probably some some people in this in this church that are are pretty good dancers. So you could pull that off. But um, I don't want to witness that honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah. So again, just to introduce myself, if I've never met you, my name is Aaron Ashton, and uh, I'm part of the leadership. Team here at Encounter Church, and um, so today, uh, just a couple thoughts I got for you. As I, um, a lot of times as I'm driving around, especially in the Lawrenceville area, um, I don't know about you guys if you've ever witnessed this little bumper sticker. But uh, I personally love bumper stickers because I think most of them are hilarious. Um, Just it's interesting what you can what you can learn about somebody by their car. But anyway, the one particular bumper sticker that I see very often is the one, I think it says coexist in like a bunch of different logos, uh, like religious logos or something like that. Um, But yeah, so it's the one that says coexist, which is basically the idea that uh, everybody has their own thing that they do. Everyone has the things that they believe in. um, And it's cool. Everyone should just get together and be happy and love each other. Which is a really, really good message, I believe, because I think that it is very true that we should all be happy and love each other. Um, uh, But I would say my theology is a little bit different than the coexist idea. (laughs) Um, But as I was thinking about that, I was wondering, like, how many different religions there are in this world? Uh, Because there's just constantly different things that are maybe new. There's things that are really old, things in between. And I looked it up, and my vast research of typing into the Google search bar online was that there are about an estimated 4,200 religions that exist in the world today, which is crazy to me. Like, I know probably, like, 10 that I could think of, maybe. But to think there's, like, 4,200 is – it was just nuts. Um, But some of the most common I would say that we're most familiar with would be uh, like the Buddhist religion, there's Islam. I actually believe that uh, atheism is a religion just because even though typically they're going to say, I don't believe in anything, so I'm an atheist, um, I think it takes a lot to believe in nothing, honestly. <laughs> Sometimes I believe it takes more to believe in nothing than to believe in something because our world is far too beautiful for me to uh, to think that way. Um, but we also have you know, the Jewish faith, we have Hindus, Jehovah's Witnesses um and then also catholicism tends to be a religion and um i have i do have family i don't want to be like catholics are are not right you know but cuz i have a lot of family that that actually does believe biblically and uh, there's a ton of like really awesome things that happen in the catholic faith that i love uh, and that are really cool um the only the only thing that you have to make sure is just that you realize that you don't have to do everything to get to heaven and that God is so gracious and merciful. So, um, But with all these different religions, I came to find that they all have pretty much the same core thing, and it is that you have to fulfill a certain amount of requirements, and you have to um, do certain tasks and things like that to appease God. And if you do that, and if you do enough of these things, and if God is in a good mood for that day, and he thinks that you're doing all right, then you might, might just make it to heaven and you might just make him happy, but you don't really know. <laughs> so to me, I feel like that's like such a, like scary slash nerve wracking and terrible way to go about my life. Cause there's like, there's just no knowledge. There's no hope or no confidence in knowing that, that God loves you. Right. Um, so Today I decided for some strange reason to title my message, You Can't Do It. And it'll make perfect sense to you in a minute um, because this is actually a very encouraging message for you today. (laughs) But just know that you can't do it, and you'll know why in a second. So um, uh, a story that I I thought of as I was thinking about this concept of just the idea of fulfilling certain requirements and, and the idea of religious duties and stuff, Uh, A friend of mine, probably several months ago, it'll pop up every once in a while, but there was this one specific time where I was talking to her, and she knows that I am a Christian. She knows that um, I do everything I can to serve God in in the ways that he's called me to. And she happens to be Jewish um, just by nature of her family. So she, um, it's kind of like she believes in the Jewish faith I honestly don't really know what she believes because there's like all these different things that she'll talk about. And and she's like, yeah, I kind of believe this. And then I dabble in this a little bit. But I'm also Jewish and I think Jesus is cool, but I'm not really sure how I feel about him and all these weird things. But um, I just always just, you know, encourage her with whatever I think. Like I just, you know, tell her like she comes to me and asks me to pray for her and things like that. But so I'm talking to her one day and she's struggling with with a particular situation in her life. And she's getting really frustrated about something. So she was like, I don't know how you do it, Aaron. I would make a lousy Christian. I don't know. Like, I just can't understand how you can um, be, like, peaceful and be happy with things like this. It just – I just can't do it. Like, I just I just give you props for being a Christian, but I just would never be able to do it. And in my mind, I was like, that's, that's, not, really, that's not really how it works because I make a lousy Christian, honestly. And I think all of us, if we think about it, if you – think about the perfect example of what it means to be, um, the literal translation of Christian would be a little Christ. If you think about what it would mean to be exactly like Jesus, like there's no way that we're going to get to that point. So I was like thinking about that. It really kind of challenged me a little bit, um, in that moment. Cause I was like, yeah, I mean, I think we all make a lousy Christian, but the beauty of it is that, um, we can't ever be a perfect Christian. It's never going to happen, no matter how hard you try. But i found that the Bible is is very intentional about what it takes to be a Christian. I think that's probably one of the main reasons it exists, right? So um, you don't need to try really hard and do all these things and, um, you know, every day, like, make sure you pray 15 and a half times in the morning and then, like, bless your food at lunch and dinner and everything. It's not really about all the different religious tasks and things that you do, but being a Christian is really all about what God has done in your life and how he can transform your life. So you can't do it, right? Got it? Does that make sense now? All right, you guys can actually, like, listen now. <laughs> um, so we're going to go ahead, and I'm just preaching from Romans chapter 8, so in almost its entirety. So I'll give you a second if you got a Bible. If you're a little throwback and you have a actual like hard copy of a Bible, much respect. Um, but also, if you want, you can open it up in your smartphone or your tablet or whatever you have. Um, but yeah, we're going to read Romans chapter 8. And I personally like the New Living Translation when I preach because it is very simple to understand. So, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through it. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background of it. And then we'll just dive in, and I will make it applicable to your life today. So, all right, here we go. So Romans 8, verse 1 says this. So, now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Pause. Um, instead of reading like the entire thing and giving you all this information and having your minds do a little mushroom cloud of blowing up, um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to keep it a little bit simple. So there's that portion, which I think is incredible. And then I will just highlight uh, the, the middle portion of Romans 8. Um, but I do want to encourage you guys to read this chapter, um, maybe later on today or just any time throughout the week, because... It is such an incredible book, or incredible chapter of the Bible. It's filled with just a ton of encouragement that you can rest assured and be confident in who you are in Jesus. Um, so, I, I would suggest you doing that because um, it's it's such an incredible chapter. I love it. But um, before I jump into the later portion of the chapter, I just wanted to touch on a couple things for you so you understand what this is talking about. But it says talks in this. This portion here it talks about the law of Moses. Um, and if referring to the law of Moses is kind of going back a little bit to the Old Testament back in the days of, um, what are they called? Togas and stuff like that. Um, and, and deserts. But the, the law, it was actually, I think it was a really cool thing that, that existed. I think nowadays we are always like, we're in the New Testament, so we don't have to worry about the law anymore. Which is like kind of true, but kind of isn't. Um, so what the law is, it, it was really designed to give us a standard by which we could live um, a godly lifestyle. It was intended to help people make moral choices that were right in their lives. It also helped people to achieve uh, living a life in an abundant way. Um, and this was all prior to the cross where Jesus made all that stuff um, I wouldn't say irrelevant, but it made it so that we don't have to just do all these things that the law tells us to do to achieve His love in heaven and stuff like that. Um, so, I think that oh, um, well in Romans six, it says this. This passage says that the wages of sin is death. I think that's probably a familiar verse for us, and it's kind of morbid if you don't like bring it out to the end here. But so. And and that time, what people would do with the law is, uh, whenever you would sin, you deserve to die, according to what that passage says, right? But God gave us, because he loves us, he created us, specifically because he wanted somebody to love, right? So God, he was like, I don't want everyone to die, so I'm going to make this way for you to get your sins washed away. So, way back then, you would do sacrifices, and you would actually kill animals and things like that, so that you wouldn't have to die. And... Um, if that were me, I feel like I would be like, all right, got my sacrifice, my little baby sheep. And then five minutes later, I'd probably be like, dang it, I have to sacrifice another animal. (laughs) Because human nature is just a sin all the time, and it's frustrating. But um, with all of this, though, you can never overcome your sinful nature. And only only Jesus can really do that. So um, that kind of brings us to a little bit more of the current day, so we don't have to do all the sacrifices and things anymore, because God, he decided, you know what, I'm going to send my son Jesus to earth, so that it will be an ultimate sacrifice, so that you never have to do all that stuff again. So, that's kind of where, what, what we talk about when we speak of the law. Um, it's good to look back on it and reflect it, just so that we understand, like, what it means to be, um, to to just do morally sound things. But, um. It's not what we should base our salvation off of. So just wanted to throw that out there for you guys. And then just to capture the middle section of Romans 8, um, a couple of the highlights would be that whenever it talks about when we live a sinful life, we're dominated by that sin. So if we're constantly deciding to make um, sinful choices and doing things that we know that God doesn't approve of. Um, little by little, it just kind of like eats away, and we just consistently do those things, become habits, and, and it's just really hard to break. But whenever we live a life that is the opposite, when we live a life in, with the Holy Spirit, we're dominated by um, the Holy Spirit, and we crave Jesus. We crave more time with God. We, we want to read the scriptures more. We want to worship Jesus more because we realize how incredible he is. So um, we don't have to do all these things and hope that we are pleasing God. But whenever we become a Christian, we become his child. So we can always be confident knowing that we are viewed as God's children, which is like an ultimate love. So um, we'll move forward a little bit here to verse 31 and we'll keep reading here. So Romans 8:31 says this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Isn't that awesome? We don't. <laughs> we don't have to be like God. I hope you hear me up there. He hears us, and even whenever we're not praying to him, he hears Jesus because he's pleading for us too. So, you know, you can't lose. It's a pretty good situation. <laughs> and then, uh, verse thirty-five says, "Can everything, can anything, ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger?" or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. But no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. So no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow, that's awesome. So um, my big idea for today is this, based off of that scripture, that there is nothing that you can ever do to loose yourself from the grasp of, of God's love, nothing. I think that if we if we just think about the concept of of what we just read, that we can stand in confidence, knowing that God loves us because of Christ Jesus. What that's saying is that we can know that because of what Christ did on the cross for us. Like, how beautiful is that idea that that Jesus came down from heaven? He left paradise to come to a crazy, screwed-up earth and live far longer than I would have wanted to live on earth if I was from heaven, (laughs) and he died for you because he loves you. It's just incredible to me. Um, So uh, I decided to kind of take three different sections of this to three different chunks and and talk about them a little bit with you guys. So uh, as I do this, I'll just kind of recap the verse, and then we'll jump into um, what I feel like I wanted you to hear today. So if we go back to Um, to verse 1, it says this, that there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. I think that's incredible. So whenever we think of condemnation, um, I actually have a... um, a definition here for you because I like to see what it actually truly means instead of what I feel like I've made up in my mind. Um, but condemnation, according to some dictionary, whatever the one that the Mac uses for me, uh, the it says that the expression of very strong disapproval to express severe disapproval for someone or, s- or of something, typically in a formal state. Um, so that's what a con- condemnation is. It's kind of like a really harsh um, idea of someone who is not happy with you. And I think that, uh, I mean, I love that that the, the chapter starts out with that concept that there's no condemnation anymore for you because God, he doesn't want to just sit up there in heaven and just condemn all of us because of all the things we do, right? Um, he's not just early, cruel, angry God who is is like mad at us all the time and i think a lot of times i'm my own worst enemy with that concept because whenever i'm doing things or if i screw up or if i um you know accidentally i'm struggling with something sometimes it's just natural because like i'm a human so naturally if someone does that to me i'm not gonna be happy about it but we don't have condemnation because God tells us that right there in verse 1. He says there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So God is not very strongly disapproving of you. He is, <laughs> he is not just trying to express his severe disappointment for you. Um, but I thought it would be cool to compare the idea of condemnation and conviction because what does happen in my life a lot is I do feel convicted. And a conviction is actually such a beautiful thing because if we didn't have a conviction, then we would just be, like, aimlessly wandering through life, wondering if we're doing the right thing or not. Um, But the definition of a conviction is the quality of showing that someone's firmly convinced of what he believes and says. So uh, I thought about this picture of um, whenever I disappoint my dad. So my dad is the man. Um, He just, I don't know, he's been an incredible picture of what a father should be in in my life throughout my life, or throughout my 24 years of living. And, uh, so I like to think of God a lot of times as this fatherly concept because he speaks about being our heavenly father. Um, but the idea of conviction is I know whenever I do something wrong, if my dad like told me something before, or if it's just something I know morally is wrong, I know he's going to be like disappointed in me, but he's not going to condemn me and be like really angry and and you know want to kill me (laughs) that's not how it works because he loves me and he wants what's best for me so obviously if I do something dumb he's going to be like dude you shouldn't do that because it's screwing up your life so that's the idea of condemnation versus conviction and I think a lot of times we can swap that and think I'm a sinner God condemns me all the time and I'm gonna die that's not how it works God he gives you conviction through the Holy Spirit and Um, It helps you understand, you know. So, like, um, whenever we're here on Sunday mornings, I think a lot of times in church, that's when this happens to me. So maybe Jared will be speaking about something, and it will hit me right here in the heart. Whenever you feel that, it's like um, maybe, like, your heart skips a beat or something, and you're like, oh, I think he's talking to me. But, you know, Jared isn't that smart. No offense. (laughs) He doesn't know exactly what you're dealing with all of the time. So if you happen to feel that in a service or something or whoever may be preaching or, or if you're in your car and something happens, whatever it may be, it's not because we have a bunch of mind readers around you. It's because the Holy spirit is speaking to your heart specifically. And he knows exactly what you're dealing with. And it's not something you should just brush to the side. It's something you should really figure out and think about and, and ask God, like, what should I do about this? So, um, Keep that in mind. And then the next thing that I wanted to touch on is the um, the section of verses 31 through 33. It says, who can be against us? So the, the, the verse says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And who dares accuse us from or who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with him. Uh, whenever I was thinking about this section, it was just, <laughs> I was struggling trying to think of an example of um, someone that is like fighting for us, right? But I just couldn't because I was trying to, trying to compare God to like a human is just impossible because God is so incredible. He's so mighty. He's He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's an incredible incredible being that, um, is always fighting for us, and I just, I don't know, I already touched on it a little bit, the idea that he sent his son, his, the only thing that he had, he sent him to die for us, and, and if, if you, if you think about that, that God cares about us that much, then, you know, he obviously is going to be fighting for you in, in smaller situations or things that are happening in your life, so you can always stand in confidence knowing, that there's nothing at all that can stand against you because God is on your side. And then the last thing I wanted to touch on was this, that um, neither myself nor anything else in the world can ever separate me from God's love. And it's this passage that says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. So if you think of something in this world that you think might be a distraction, you think it might be something that you prioritize over your relationship with God, it might be work, it might be uh, money things, whatever that may be. If you think of that, then tell yourself, that can't separate me from God's love because nothing can. God is constantly, constantly, constantly pursuing you specifically. He constantly wants to have a relationship with you And he is doing every single thing he could think of to make that happen. Um, So, rest assured to know that regardless of what you're dealing with, there's nothing that can separate you from God loving you. The only thing that can get in the way, well, he's always going to love you, but the only thing that can um, distract you from, from that is forgetting about that. So, let's see here. Um, my question for you today would be this, is how many times have you felt like you are not worthy of a love so incredible like this? As I just said, I'm oftentimes my own worst enemy when it comes to this idea because I can convince myself. Um, well, I didn't really pray enough this morning, so I don't think that God can um speak to me as well as he could have if I did pray this morning. Um Or, you know, I didn't, um, I don't know, I didn't eat with my left hand because he told me to, so he doesn't love me as much or something. I don't know, weird example, but <laughs> there's so many things that you can think of and convince yourself that you would make a lousy Christian, you know? as i mentioned in the pre in the story at the beginning of this message we are all lousy christians i've just thrown it out there and there's nothing still even though we're very often um forgetting about who god is a lot of times we just prioritize other things over him but it doesn't matter because we're never going to personally do everything we need to do to make god happy because he's already happy with us he already loves us and so for you today it is not your responsibility to um to live up to the standard that's required to be his child. God has already done that. And your responsibility today is to accept what he has already done, all right? So the point of Christianity was never to become like an incredible perfect person on your own, all right? Honestly, if it were that way, I don't really I don't really think it would be a very Uh, awesome way to live because the idea of Jesus doing all that he's done for us and the idea of God saying that we are his children is just so amazing to me it's just beautiful to know that that we don't have to do all these different things to make it so that he loves us he does no matter what you do and that's why you you literally exist so um, I just wanted to close out with this this incredible verse to remind us of how this works. Um, but whenever we choose to be adopted into God's family, we immediately become perfect in His eyes, and and that's confirmed in Colossians one twenty two. It says that um, yet now He has reconciled you to Himself through the death of Christ in His physical body. As a result, He has brought you into His own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Ugh, I just want to let it sink in. I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't understand how God could be, like, how he could do that. (laughs) Like, who am I? Who are we to be worthy of being completely blameless in the sight of a God who's perfect and who's mighty and powerful and strong, you know? But um, these guys are going to sing a little bit today. And I wanted to just leave this uh, that, that verse, Colossians one twenty two on the screen. And as, as you just leave it there, you don't have to put any lyrics or anything up, but just leave that verse there as they sing through a chorus or two. And I want you just to read that a couple times, maybe close your eyes, ponder it, and continue to tell yourself that you are perfect and blameless in His eyes. You literally have not a single fault. This isn't something that I'm telling you because I feel strongly about it. This is something I'm telling you because Colossians 1.22 says it. It's what God has spoken to us, something that we can rest assured and something that we can be confident about. So as you go about your week as well and as you live your life continually, remember this, that God has considered you pure, spotless, perfect, without blemish, your whiter than snow to him so you can always know that truth so thank you guys so much for hearing me out today um go ahead and just ponder this i think it's amazing i'm gonna do the same and uh you guys rock